public, uh, set up for public uh, viewing there. Uh, and so, uh, because I think, uh, was there 7 billion people in the world? So like 6,999,000,000 all have Facebook accounts. So the last three people in the world that don't have a Facebook account, they can watch it on Vimeo, right? And so, uh, and you know, you, you do whatever you want to, uh, you know, I don't really care if, if uh, you have a Facebook account or don't have a Facebook account. Some people, it's a, it's a very, they're very strongly opinionated about it, you know, and, and so I really don't have a strong opinion about it either way. I think it's fine if you do, and I think it's fine if you don't, right? So, but it's available there for you, and if, and if you uh, really want to do old school, we can burn you a CD, right? Uh, and if you want to do ancient, really ancient school, I do have a reel-to-reel recorder at home, so I can uh, record a five-inch reel-to-reel for you, you know, if you want to just go... Now, after that, we'll have to go back to stone, uh, and I'm not going to carve a stone tablet for you or anything like that. So, um, But uh, praise God. Why don't we pray, and we'll get into the Word today. So, Father, we thank you for your Word, and Father, we thank you for blessing us each and every day. We thank you for the foundation of our faith, which is your Word. We thank you that your Spirit reveals the intent and the revelation of your Word, and so we depend entirely upon Him, Father, for our teaching, our instruction. And, and so, Father, we give you all the praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's open up our Bibles to the book of Philippians, chapter 1. Well, we are actually going to get started in the book of Philippians today. So um, we started this uh, um, many years ago. It just felt good to me to, on Wednesday nights, to, to focus on doing verse-by-verse studies. And, um, uh, and if you kind of look at our, we have three services a week. So, uh, of course, uh, Wednesday nights, we do verse-by-verse studies, and, and the nice thing about that, we can take any kind of rabbit path that we want to, and we often do take rabbit paths into some other uh, portions of the Scripture there. Uh, and then, uh, of course, on Sunday afternoon is healing school, so we t- teach just on the subject of healing school. Uh, and then it was, it was uh, just in my heart that what the Lord wants us to do on Sunday morning is focus on how do we live victorious lives. And so the topics we tend to cover are things that can help us increase our faith, uh, increase our uh, faithfulness, uh, increase our success as living Christian lives. And, and so that's kind, of our, that's kind of our three services a week. And, and um, we started originally going through the book of Galatians. And I guess we probably started that maybe 2010. I'll have to go back and look at my notes. You know, so uh, it's taken us 11 years to get to where we're at right now. So, <laughs> so I don't know if... Uh, uh, I haven't really calculated how long it would take us to get through the whole New Testament, but um, uh, we may have to pick this up on the backside of, of the resurrection, you know, and, and continue there because the word of God's not going to go anywhere, right? So um, if we have to take this into the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus, now see, we get a thousand years there. I think we could get through the book of Hebrews in a thousand years, you know, so uh, the rest of it, I, I don't know about that. So, uh, but uh, we'll, we'll, um, we'll see how that goes. So we're not in any hurry, amen. Uh, and the thing I like about doing verse-by-verse verse studies is you do get to look at verses that you a lot of times don't really study in depth because, you know, they're just uh, uh, glue to get from here to there, right? So you look at the, the big, uh, you know, I call them big verses that, that are foundations for a significant faith uh, in our lives. Uh, but then you don't always look at grace be unto you verses, right? Uh, and so it's good to do a verse-by-verse verse study. So I think with the, with the way that we have it set up, uh, we get a good, well-rounded uh, view of the Word of God, and um, we're not getting pigeonholed into just only doing one topic or one uh, one particular uh, doctrine. Uh, we get to look at all things uh, related to our Christian walk. Uh, and the nice thing, like on Sunday mornings, we can do 
studies on characters, you know, like um, uh, I have, and I've never done it that I know of, but um, I've got uh, uh, several studies of different characters in the Bible that I've put together over the years. Uh, a lot of times, just for my personal benefit, I wanted to find out, you know, how this person went through their life and how they succeeded and, you know, even if they failed, you know, how they overcame in those situations. And um, one of these days, maybe the Lord would have us to do some of those, but uh, because you can learn a lot by uh, reading after somebody else, you know, and at different times and seasons in my in my Christian walk, you know, I would be drawn to certain uh, characters in the Bible. You know, how did they overcome? How did they do certain things? Uh, and, you know, a lot of people like to pick out Job. You know, I'm going through a Job experience and, you know, I think, praise God, that's awesome. Because at the end of his time, he got double of everything that he ever had, right? Fully restored to health, double all of his finances. That's a pretty good deal, right? Uh, and now you got twice as many kids. I don't know if that's a blessing or not, you know. I mean, you know, I love my kids, but do I want twice as many kids as I got now, you know? Uh, uh, you know, we thought before we had kids, you know, we'll have four or five kids. You know, I don't know. We, I'm the youngest of 11, so you four or five is not that many. Uh, but we had one, and we thought, you know, one's pretty good. Uh, you know, maybe we'll stop at one. And, and uh, <laughs> so, but we ended up having three, and that seemed like a good number for us. And so, uh, it, look, if you want to have 20 kids, I, that's fine with me. I don't want, you know, more power to you. I'm glad to, I'm glad, I'm glad for you, you know, and so, uh, and so praise God. So, um, so just different ways to study the Bible and, uh, all of them are good. All of them will advance our faith. And so, um, uh, so we're going to look at uh, the book of Philippians. And so we had started out, uh, several weeks ago, just kind of giving you an overview of the book of Philippians. I'm not going to go through all of that again. Uh, but do we remember where Paul was when he wrote this book? He was in, in uh, Roman prison, right? And, and that's important to remember because as you go through this, he talks about rejoice, you know, uh, rejoice evermore and things like that. And you think, oh, Paul's got it easy. He's an apostle, you know, sitting around, you know, eating bonbons. People take care of him. You know, life is good. And he wrote it from a Roman prison, right? Uh, and so now there were times when he was in a Roman prison in a physical building. Uh, and of course, compared to anything that we have in America, it was terrible, Right. The worst prison in America. It was probably uh, considered a hotel compared to where you would be at in a Roman prison. Uh, but also, many times, like in Paul's case, uh, since he was a Roman citizen, uh, he had a little bit more rights and privileges than just you know your average non-citizen who got arrested in in the Roman Empire. Uh, and so, what they would do oftentimes, if it was not a violent criminal, he you know, he was only accused of of stirring up strife. You know, well. How violent is that, right? It's not really violent for, for that. He wasn't stirring up insurrection against the Roman Empire, but just, you know, uh, in fact, when they sent him to Rome, they said, well, we don't really know, you know, what we're going to tell uh, the, 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 uh, uh, the emperor why he's being sent. So we got to kind of make up something. And, and so, uh, so in cases like that, a lot of times what they would do is they would basically chain you to a, uh, a Roman soldier uh, and you could then go live in a house somewhere. But the, you know, the soldier's with you everywhere you go, right? You know, I mean, he eats, he's there, he sleeps, he's there, right? You go take a shower, he's there. Seemed like that'd be a little awkward, but it'd be convenient to pass the soap, right? So, uh, and so, um, uh, so uh, there were probably times when he was in a Roman prison physically, but there were other times when he was uh, attached, kind of basically at the hip, uh, with these uh, Roman soldiers to watch over him. And so, both of those situations, Paul went through. And so that's the, the status of how he's writing this. So now he's writing uh, to this church at Philippi. And, and so what we'll find is that 
that Paul and the church of Philippi had a long relationship and a very good relationship uh, that he had with them. And so uh, let's just start here in verse 1. It says, Paul and Timotheus, of course, we know that's Timothy, right? Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, all the saints in Christ which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. And if you remember, uh, for Philippi specifically, he was in the region of Macedonia, and Paul was uh, not in Macedonia at the time. Uh, he was, uh, well, he was somewhere else. I don't recall where he was at at the time. Uh, but uh, he had a vision of a man praying uh, from Macedonia. He said, come and help us. And that's how Paul was drawn to, to Philippi, was from a vision from the Lord of a man praying uh, for assistance, spiritual assistance. Uh, and so, uh, you know, that, that's a good draw because if somebody's desiring the word of God, there's nothing that makes a, a minister happy, happier than when the people desire to hear the word of God. And so these people were desiring to hear uh, the word of God. So Paul starts out uh, talking about that him, uh, that he and Timothy are servants of, of Jesus Christ. And the word servants there means a bond slave. And so when he was telling, uh, telling his Philippians, he said, we, uh, we all are sold out 100% to the Lord. We are slaves to the Lord. Uh, and I think that emphasis uh, is kind of uh, lost in, in today's uh, church. You know, to, a lot of times today's church is more focused on, you know, what's in it for me? You know, how does it make me feel? You know, am I happy? Am I satisfied? And those things. And when Paul's told the Philippians that he was a servant or a bond slave, what he basically was telling them is that we, we, we no longer have rights and privileges. We have refused and given up all of our rights and privileges for the sake of the Lord. And we are at, totally at his disposal to do with us however he pleases. And that's a level of servanthood that, uh, you know, I think sometimes in some circles of the church that we kind of lost that mentality sometimes. And, uh, and, you know, it's very important for us to be comfortable, you know, physically and emotionally and in and, uh, and, and every other way that you can manage before we are happy. And Paul was saying, you know, I gave up those rights to demand anything uh, of, of myself. I'm here to serve only at, at the behest of the Lord. Uh, and I remember uh, seeing pictures of people that go to these tent revivals. And you ever seen pictures of these old black and white tent revivals? You know, it'd be an old tent. And you remember those old fo folding wooden chairs? You know, they used to have, we used to have a bunch growing up. Uh, and I always thought it was cool, folded wooden chairs. I mean, you know, I, I mean, like made out of wood. I mean, you know, uh, is that, that's like a miracle. Uh, and so... Uh, but it, and it could fold. Right. And so but they were terribly uncomfortable. Uh, and so, you know, we, we have folded plastic chairs here, but they're pretty comfortable. Right. And then, of course, you get folded chairs with cushions on them. But those folded wooden chairs with the little slats on them, you know, they were kind of uncomfortable, but they would have these just stacked up. And of course, you know, we got these nice, you know, uh, uh, you know, the I think the uh, Boeing 787 is called the, the it's a wide body airplane. These are wide body chairs, right? And so um, it's, uh, these are comfortable chairs, right? And, uh, and so those chairs were much, much more narrow. And so, uh, you know, if you didn't like the person beside you, it was too bad because you're going to become good friends with them really close and so very quickly. And so, but they'd have all these chairs just stacked up, you know, and, and uh, no room in the, in the rows and people just packed in there like sardines uh, and just, uh, and glad to be there, right? Uh, it was wet and dark and cold in these tents oftentimes, and uh, but the, but they'd be packed all the way packed out. Uh, and so, you know, there's there some of that that I think when the church have kind of lost sometimes about whatever it takes. Right. That's the kind of 
attitude that Paul as a servant had was whatever it takes, whatever the cost, it's just irrelevant. You know, it doesn't matter how expensive, what the cost of my personal physical life is, uh, whatever it takes, right? That's what a bond servant's thoughts are. You know, Lord, whatever you want me to do, uh, it, it's, it's okay, right? Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, and I remember uh, years ago when the Lord uh, had told me, uh, and I've told you the story before many times, but when the Lord told me, uh, I was praying in, in, in August of 1988, just about my life and, you know, Lord, what, what do you want me to do? And I just, you know, I was kind of dissatisfied with, uh, with just life. It, you know, not, not, I, was, I wasn't sad or depressed. It was just everything was fine. Had a great job, great friends, you know, good church to go to. But just it seemed down in my spirit, man, I wasn't where the Lord wanted me to be. Now, I wasn't in sin or anything. It just, you know, there seemed like there was more out there. And so over a season of time and prayer, uh, the Lord finally spoke to me, gave me a list of things to do. And one of the things that he told me to do was to go back to the church that I'd gone to when I was in college. And he said, specifically, there are things that the pastor needs to teach you. And so I went back to that church by direction of the of the Holy Spirit. You know, he told me to go there. And so uh, my thoughts were uh, that since he told me to go there, then as a servant of the Lord, then, then I'm obligated to stay there until uh, he tells me to go somewhere else. Now, now, that's just my thinking. Right. And and so, you know, the stories that for many years it was great and wonderful and days of heaven upon earth. And then for many years toward the end of uh, my pastor's life, it got to be really complicated and, and just a lot of drama and just, you know, terrible things went on, you know, and, and very almost cultish like uh, things. But but in all of that, the Lord told me to stay. Uh, and, and actually, to be honest, he never told me to stay, uh, but I would pray about leaving. And uh, and since he didn't answer me, I assumed that I had to go back to the last thing he told me. Uh, and so no matter how difficult it was, and it was very difficult for many years, no matter how difficult it was, as a servant of the Lord, to me, the most important thing was what's the will of God. And as a servant of the Lord, if you can get in your heart that the most important thing in this life, that as you're breathing air in this physical life, the most important thing you can ever do is do the will of God. Everything else is secondary. Cars and houses and jobs and giving and receiving and missionary work and, you know, whatever it is. None of that's really important if it's outside the will of God. You know, there are a lot of people who do things for the Lord outside of his will. He never asked them to do that. He didn't want them to do that. They wanted to do that. And, and so it doesn't matter what you do. Uh, it matters that you're in his will. It matters that you're, you're there to do what he wants you to do. And a servant has that mentality. A servant has the mentality of, Lord, I'm just here to do what you want. And, and one of my favorite verses over in the book of, of Hebrews, turn over to Hebrews chapter 8. See, this is a little rabbit path here that we're going to take, right? So, um, but over in, in Hebrews uh, chapter 8, uh, he says in verse 7, uh, he said, uh, then said I, so this is, uh, spoken from the standpoint of Jesus saying this. He said, Then said I, Lo, I come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do thy will, O God. And he repeats it again in verse 9. Then he said, Then said he, Lo, I come to do thy will, O God. Uh, and so then he talks about the rest of the covenant there. Uh, and if you think about it, you know, uh, people say, Well, Jesus came to die on the cross, which is not technically correct. Jesus came to do the will of God. The will of God was for him to go to the, to the cross. But the will of God was also for him to go to Galilee. The will of God was for him to walk on water. The will of God was for him to raise the, the, the widow's son and, and Nain. The, the, you know, all of those things were the will of God, right? <clears throat> so nothing that Jesus did was, well, this is what I want to do, right? 
uh, well, I don't like going to Nazareth, you know, so I'm going to go over here instead. You know, they got way better restaurants in that town. Um, and, and so, uh, so Jesus said, Lord, I'm here to do your will. And if you can ever get to that point as a servant of the Lord, Lord, I'm here to do your will. See, then, then the Bible said that you are meat for the master's use. You know, you're, you're useful for the master to do something with you because uh, a lot of times people say, well, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to as long as it's on this list right here. You know, and if, it's on, if it meets this list of my requirements for comfort and time of day and, you know, cost, then I'll be glad to do it, right? Now, that'd be funny to tell the Lord that, but how many times have we kind of done those things, right? Lord, hey, I need you to go do that line, doing that, Lord. Uh, and so... Uh, one kind of, you know, I think it's kind of funny, you know, uh, maybe you will too, but uh, I was talking about some things kind of like this one time about, you know, uh, the church. And, and so someone come up and said, uh, Pastor, you know, is there anything I can do to help you, you know, around the church? You know, anything that, uh, that, that would be that could help you here at the church? Uh, and I said, well, of course, you know, we don't have a lot to do here because, you know, the church is stable as far as we don't need lights hung. We don't need, you know. Uh, we pay somebody to clean the church, so we don't, uh, you know, you don't have to come and clean the church, no. Um, and so, uh, but I did say, well, you know, we do need the baseboards cleaned because they kind of get dusty, you know. And at the time, uh, the folks that were doing that, it was hard for them to clean that. So, uh, well, you know, so we would take care of that for them. Uh, and uh, I said, you know, you clean the baseboards. And there's only baseboards in the kitchen, right? It's not, there's no baseboards in here to clean, you know. And so just the kitchen. And they said, oh, well, I don't want to do that. <laughs> You know, you asked me what, uh, and I wasn't trying to give them some terrible job or anything. I mean, that's, you know, a 10-minute job, literally, right? You just take the duster and you, you're, you're done, right? And it's not really that hard of a job to do. Well, why haven't you done it? Well, I, I, there's no reason I haven't done it. just, you know, hadn't gotten around to doing it. And, and so they'd asked. So, um, uh, and so um, I do know that sometimes in the ministry uh, where you go over to Ephesians 4.11, where it says that the, that the, that the ministry gifts, the powerful ministry gifts are, are given to for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying the body of Christ, right? And so on and so forth. But, uh, but a lot of times ministers will take that second item there for the work of the ministry. And they'll say, well, see, that means sweeping the floor and painting the walls and blowing off the driveway. And I don't believe any of that's true at all. Uh, the work of the ministry, the ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. So we're supposed to train everybody. The ministers are supposed to train the people really primarily for the work of reconciliation, for the ministry of reconciliation, not train you how to sweep the floors and do that. Sweeping the floors and, and running sound and, and blowing off driveways are just necessary things that we do to maintain a, a facility, right? And so, but that's not really the ministry. You don't need an apostle to teach you how to vacuum, right? Uh, and so I think sometimes... We use that verse like that to compel people to vacuum the carpet. Uh, and that's not that's not we shouldn't use the scripture to compel people to work. You know, people uh, should desire to work because they're servants of the Lord. Right. And, and, and we're all in this together and we all have things that we can do, things that we're able to do. Uh, and it really should be simple. Right. It's just, uh, hey, we need somebody to vacuum the floor and 12 people raised a hand. Right. Uh, and but see, as servants of the Lord, we're here to serve at his convenience. And Paul knew that. And Paul said that he and Timothy were, were slaves, right? They had given up all rights and privileges uh, for the benefit of, of the Lord Jesus. And so it's not just for the benefit of the ministry. It's for the benefit of the Lord Jesus. Whatever the Lord Jesus wants you to do, right? Uh, well, I want to be an apostle. Well, that's great. But he might need you to actually be a door greeter first, right? He might need you to be an usher before you're an apostle. 
And if you're willing to do, be an usher, right? Remember, uh, what, was, what was Philip's last job that we know of recorded in the Word of God? He was an evangelist, right? But how did Philip start? He was a deacon, right? And uh, as far as an official role, but before that, the Bible says he was full of wisdom and, and the Holy Ghost. So he was working uh, to increase his spiritual walk with the Lord, and then he was promoted to the position of a deacon, then he was promoted to the position of evangelist, right? Uh, and so sometimes people want, well, I want to be, you know, in fact, somebody told me that, that uh, somebody prophesied over them that they're supposed to be a worldwide uh, youth minister, travel the world and, and uh, do a worldwide youth minister. And always be careful when somebody prophesies something over you because, uh, number one, uh, do we live in the Old Testament or the New Testament? We live in the New Testament, so who lives on the inside of you? The Holy Spirit does. So if, if I stand in the office of the prophet and I prophesy something to you, are you required to accept that regardless of what's said? No, why not? Who lives on the inside of you? The Holy Spirit does, right? So whatever I think I'm saying by the Spirit of God, what should your spirit uh, do? It should bear witness with the Holy Spirit in you that what was said belongs to you, right? Uh, and so... But there's been there's been so many uh, so much abuse of that in the body of Christ where a prophet will come and say, well, you're you know, you're a, a worldwide youth minister. And they said, I've never wanted to go. Uh, yeah, I'd be happy staying home with my cats the rest of my life. Uh, and, and what do you think? Well, it's not my job to tell them that I think that's crazy that uh, that somebody prophesied that over them, because, you know, typically the Lord, he made you who you were when you came into the world. And, uh, and whatever he calls you to do is going to be great joy, right? It should bring joy to your life because that's just what you're called to do, amen? The Lord, the Lord doesn't, I mean, it's pretty rare that he's going to give you some assignment in the earth that is completely different than, than who you are. Now, there may be stretch goals, maybe things that you, you know, you're, you know, maybe not comfortable talking in front of people, but, you know, at the same time, you've got other gifts and talents that the people need to have. And so there may be things that you've got to do to, to, to walk in faith in the calling of your, of your, of your, um, of your calling, uh, whatever God's called you to do, but, uh, you know, it, it would just seem odd to me. Now, could he have done it? Sure he could. But if there was no witness on the inside of you that God called you to what you were just prophesied, then I would just set it aside immediately, right? I wouldn't, I wouldn't contemplate it and, well, more than one person prophesied that. It doesn't matter if a whole line of prophets prophesied it to you. If there's no witness on the inside of you, it's not of God. And, and yet people have, have been, uh, and, and I don't know why that, you know, I don't know what motivates them to say that, Maybe they believe that it was a word from the Lord. I remember years ago that uh, a prophet came through town and, and uh, one, one person in particular, she was a housewife, you know, and didn't, she, she didn't have an outside job. She had an inside job at, at, at the house and, um, you know, faithful to the church and uh, played the, uh, in, uh, some, some instrument there at the church and, um, uh, you know, and would, you know, teach, you know, like uh, children's church on occasion, things like that and, Every now and then we'd go do jail ministry with the, at the ladies in jail. Uh, but that was kind of it, you know. And so, but a, uh, a prophet came to town and said, uh, thus saith the Lord, you are a prophet to the nations. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, how many prophets to the nations were there? As far as I know, there was only one. Uh, you know, you might consider Daniel because he was in Babylon there. Uh, but uh, really it was Jeremiah, right? Jeremiah was a prophet to Egypt and a prophet to the nation of Israel. 
And so even the prophets of the nation was pretty rare in the Old Testament. And so now he's telling us what is essentially a housewife, never been in the ministry, never been ordained, never uh, been to uh, Bible school that I know of, that sort of thing, um, and, and was just really a Sunday school teacher. And, and nothing wrong with that, right? I mean, the Lord needs Sunday school teachers. But it would be really unusual for the Lord to, to take somebody who yesterday w- was not even in the ministry and to promote them and to be a worldwide, so not just a local prophet, right? Because all ministers have, have um, uh, levels of authority, right? So they may be a prophet to the nation, a prophet to the nations, right? Most of the Old Testament prophets were prophets to Israel. Uh, on a rare occasion, you'd come up with a Jeremiah who was a prophet to multiple nations, uh, but it'd be, it'd be really odd and rare just by looking at how the Lord promotes people in the, in the Old Testament and the New Testament to go from essentially no minister to a prophet to the nations. Uh, and so, um, you know, the, just, just that alone would give me pause. Well, is, Lord, is that you? Because that seems like a really odd stretch to go from where I'm at right now to I'm a prophet to the nations. And, uh, and if you remember when Paul... Uh, you know, Paul started out as just a Christian. But as soon as he was born again, he started ministering, right? Uh, there in Acts chapter 9, he immediately started ministering. Uh, and then uh, he went on, uh, and that was in Acts chapter 9. By the time you got to Acts chapter 13, it says, and there was at Antioch uh, many prophets and teachers. And he gave a list of five of them, you know, uh, and started with Barnabas and ended with, with Paul the apostle. And so at that time, Paul was either a prophet or a teacher, but he was probably a prophet and a teacher. So he went from just a Christian, but immediately he was ministering, right? He was already out doing the work of the ministry. And somewhere along the way, he was promoted to prophet and teacher. And then Acts 13, the Lord separated him to be an apostle. So there was a progression in Paul's life, right? He was out doing the full-time, doing work of the ministry full-time. And that's really, you know, if that call is on you, that's what you'll be doing, right? You'll be ministering. Every chance you get, Every opportunity you can, you'll be ministering, right? You'll be preaching, teaching, uh, wherever you can, right? And long before I was a pastor, I was doing uh, adult Sunday school class, you know, for months at a time. I would go to every jail ministry that I could uh, and would do that, did that for many years. Uh, you know, on occasion, a, a local church would ask me to come and minister for them. I would minister for them uh, every, every, I think just about every, uh, well, every, every uh, mission trip that was uh, available for me to go with the church. I went on every one of those preached at all the churches there in, in different countries around the world uh, long before I was in the full-time ministry uh, and because that's the call of God. The call of God is there. It just There's something in you as a servant of the Most High God that compels you to, do be, to be a servant as the Lord has called you to do. Uh, and that's kind of normal, right? Uh, and so, uh, so, you know, all of that, and, and it's not so much, you know, uh, are they the prophets of the nations? You know, I don't really know. It's not, I'm, I'm not the judge of the earth. I'm not uh, the Lord God himself. But it just seems odd to me that the Lord would, would go from, you know, here, now you're a prophet of the nations. And, uh, but the nice thing is you've got the Holy Ghost in you. Amen. And if you've got the Holy Ghost in you, then it'll, uh, he will bear witness with your spirit that whatever is being said to you is either of or not of the Holy Ghost. Right. Uh, and if it's not, then you just set it aside. Right. You don't have to be concerned about it. Uh, but, but what happens many times is people try to fulfill that call then. They try to become what they were prophesied over to become, uh, and, they, and they become ambitious to fulfill that as opposed to being ambitious to be a servant of the Lord because the servant of the Lord will do whatever the Lord asks them to do, right? Uh, and so, so that's, you know, that, that's uh, Paul starting out 
uh, kind of laying the groundwork. You know, we are servants of, of the Most High God, servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and then he, then he uh, addresses three groups of people here. He says, uh, to all the saints uh, in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and, de- bishops and deacons. Uh, and notice he said the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi. So he kind of covers the spiritual side of their life, you know, uh, that they're saints of God, uh, which, mean, you know, saint means to be a sanctified one or set apart one. So all of us are saints of God, right? All of us have been set apart from the world into the church of the Lord Jesus. So all of us are saints in that case. So, you know, I know in the, in the is it, I guess it's Roman Catholic Church, right? You get to become a saint if you, you know, have certain qualifications. One of them has to be a miracle, a noted miracle, something like that. And then um, a couple of other uh, things that you have to do as well. Uh, but really, all of us are already saints, right? I don't have to accomplish anything in particular. I'm a saint and been, a, been uh, assigned to be a saint by the fact that I've been set apart out of the world into the church of Lord Jesus, right? So I'm automatically a saint, sanctified one. Uh, and so he, he uh, recognizes their spiritual walk. He recognizes their natural walk being at, located at Philippi. And then uh, he also addresses the bishops and deacons. Uh, and so the bishops are the leadership, really the pastors of the church. Uh, and uh, we don't have time to go to, we're not going to go through all the details of that. But uh, whenever you see bishops in the, in the word of God, he's really talking about local pastors of the, of the local churches, right? So he's addressing this to bishops of Philippi. So these are pastors at Philippi, those in, in spiritual leadership at Philippi. Uh, and the deacons, right? So the deacons, uh, what does the word deacon mean? Do we know? It means to serve, right? So the deacon's job, but what was their first job? Waiting tables, Waiting tables right? To serve the tables. That's where the word deacon comes from, is to, is to serve tables. Uh, and that was their job, right? Uh, and so I don't know how you get from serving tables, waiting on tables, to now I run the pastor, right? Because some churches, deacons are above the pastor, right? It's got a deacon board. They tell the pastor what they can do, what they can't do. Uh, and, you know, some deacon boards are good. Some deacon boards, you know, are kind of like uh, HOAs. You ever seen HOAs, right? They come out there, measure your yard, make sure your grass is, is more than, uh, you know, not more than two inches long. And if it's two, two and a half inches long, you get a letter, right? And if you don't mow it quick enough, they'll just come take your house and your dog. And, uh, and uh, you know, uh, sometimes you know, they're supposed to be there to serve the, the community, but instead the, the community is there to serve them. Uh, and uh, the history of the church is, is uh, uh, filled with uh, uh, interesting stories of deacons trying to overtake a church, right, trying to run the church. Uh, and their job was only to wait on tables. They weren't even there to do anything else, right? They were just there to be servants of the people to feed them. Uh, and so, so Paul is addressing uh, both the members of the church and the leadership of the church, right? And so the book of Philippians is written to the entire church, uh, and he wanted to make sure he covered all of them uh, when he was doing that there. So, um, and uh, this book is unique uh, in, in one sense that uh, in most of the other books of, uh, that Paul wrote, um, he says, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, uh, and in this case, he never mentions that he's an apostle. And, you know, we don't really know why. Uh, maybe just because he had such a close relationship with them that he didn't need to be you know, have a formal statement of who he was. They already knew who he was. And so uh, that would be, uh, I, I've read other, other um, uh, takes on, on why he didn't do that. 
but it just seems to me that uh, because he knew the, the church at Philippi so well and he was so close to him. And, and we'll see as we go through the book that there are many, uh, many statements that he makes that that uh, uh, makes it clear to us that he had a really close relationship with these people at, at Philippi. Uh, and uh, and so. Uh, and that's one of the things I, I hope that we get out of this book to see uh, the relationship that Paul had with this church. And really, this is a relationship that all leadership ha- should have with, with their own churches, right? Uh, but also uh, how we can have that relationship with, with other ministers there. So, um, And then he goes on down, down to verse 2 and says, uh, Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, I like that phrase, grace be unto you. And we know, according to Ephesians uh, 2.8, that for by grace are we saved through faith, right? So, there, so grace... Uh, is uh, it, grace, if you look at the, the study of grace in, in the Bible, and grace is actually mentioned over a hundred times in the New Testament, really in, in the Old Testament, and it's mentioned in the Old Testament and New Testament. Um, grace can be sometimes a, a, a difficult topic to understand because, you know, the, the, the root meaning of grace means unmerited favor. Uh, and, and, you know, that's, that is helpful from the standpoint of uh, we have favor from God that we didn't earn, right? So that part of it is helpful. But the application of grace in our life is what's, what's important, right? So we know we got it uh, without any work on our part, right? Um, but then what is it used for? Right? What, what, what is grace used for in our life? Uh, and uh, uh, if you go over also in the book Hebrews, it talks about how Jesus, uh, by grace, died for the sins of the world. Uh, and so one of the things we can learn about grace is, is grace is really the power of God that's there in your life to empower you to do his will. So whatever his will is for your life, you know you have the grace or the power or the ability to do that. Uh, and, and that's the thing that, uh, again, as servants of the Most High God, you know, it's really tech, not technically, from a biblical standpoint, not technically, technically accurate to say, you know, I can't do that. If you're called of God to do it, you can't really say I can't do that because what you're saying is that God's grace is not sufficient for me to accomplish this. Uh, and that would be an unfair statement, wouldn't it? That God, you, you either didn't give me enough grace or the grace that you have given me is not sufficient. Uh, and one thing that, that uh, if we can build our faith in this and realize that th- this statement has to be true, that whatever God's called you to do, he's given you the grace to do that. And so you have to have faith that the grace is there, right? You have to have faith that God has given you the grace and then rely upon that grace to see you through. Because there are plenty of things that we're called to do that, you know, just from a natural standpoint, you know, we really don't want to do, right? Uh, God, has God ever asked you to go talk to somebody that you don't want to go talk to? Well, you know, that, that's different than having the ability to go talk to them, right? It's just not having the desire to talk to them. Well, that's fine, right? Because remember in, in the book of, of uh, uh, it, well, in, in the Gospels, when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, remember what he said, not my what? will but what thy will be done right so jesus will was not to go to the cross right uh, he said lord if there be any other way let this cup pass from me nevertheless not my will but thy will be done so that was a case in history where and it may be the only time in history where the will of the lord jesus was different than the will of god the father now does that mean you're in sin was jesus in sin no so just because what you want to do is not what the lord wants you to do does not mean you're in sin. What matters is what do you do next? What's your very next step? Right. If your very next step is 
you know, I don't want to go to the cross, and then you walk away and leave, well, now you're in big trouble, right? Uh, but if you say, oh, Lord, I don't want to go to the cross, uh, is there any other way out? Which is what Jesus asked, right? If there be any, any other way, let this cup pass for me. Uh, and uh, what was the answer from the Father? Well, there was no answer, right? So the answer was, I already told you what to do. You go do what I told you to do, right? Uh, and he said, nevertheless, not my will, right? Not what I want to do, what you want to do. And so, see, that's the attitude of a servant. The servant says, I have a will. And, uh, and if nothing else is being imposed upon my will, I'm just going to go do what I want. Now, that's not in a bad sense. You know, I'm going to go to the restaurant. I'm going to go wash my car. I'm going to mow the yard. You know, just things you want to do, right? I want to paint the house. Uh, I want to play cards. I want to sit on the couch and eat bonbons all day long. You know, whatever it is that you have a desire to do. See, if there's no other, if there's no other call on that will, then, you know, unless it's sin, it's fine to do, right? Some people's like, oh, I, I, you know, I just want to do only what the Lord wants me to do. You know, that's not really true. I mean, you, you pick out what socks you're going to wear in the morning. You decide which side of the bed you're going to sleep on. You decide what temperature you're going to set the thermostat to. Uh, and, you know, uh, when you get into that weird, you know, uh, um, man doesn't have a free will kind of doctrine, which is really dumb. It's like you've exercised your free will a thousand times a day. You decided which, uh, what time you're going to go into your car. You decided how fast you were going to drive. You decided which road you're going to take. You decided what you're going to eat. You decided how much you're going to eat. You decided when you were done eating. You decided whether or not to wash the fork. You decided whether or not to wash the... I mean, how many decisions have you made today? Just today. I mean, hundreds of them, right? Who knows how many there are? And you made it. Did God appear to you in every one of those? Did God force you to eat with that fork on the left hand instead of the right hand? Did God come down in a, in a, in a uh, flash of glory and told you to put syrup on your pancakes? No, the, the, the Lord doesn't appear to you to do any of those things. All that is foolishness, right? And so that, all of that was you exercising your free will. You have a free will. You get to choose to do what you want to do. Uh, and unless the Lord uh, has a need for you to exercise a will different from yours, I mean, he's... For the most part, just, you know, whatever you want to do, you know, I mean, you know, uh, sometimes he'll prompt you. Hey, I need you to pray. I need you to read the word. I need you to go and do something. And and see, it's in those moments when, uh, in, in fact, um, uh, turn over to uh, the, to uh, um, John 15. Because uh, th- this verse really kind of summarizes for me. Uh, this this whole topic about um, uh, about the will of God and of course then grace too right so the grace of God is always there for you to do His will right whatever His will is you have the grace to do it uh, and so this verse here says uh, in verse thirteen greater love has no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends and of course we have studied this verse many times right uh, we know this verse probably backwards and forwards. Uh, that word love, what kind of love is that? It's agape love, right? So it's a, there's uh, two or three different types of uh, Greek words for, for love. This is agape. So this is the God kind of love. So, so greater love, uh, uh, so what he's saying is there's no way to express more the love of God than to do this. This is the greatest way to express the love of God in your life. Uh, and he said that a man would lay down his life for his friends. So normally when you see this verse, when it talks about laying down your life, what, what do you immediately think about? Dying, Dying right? You know, I'll, you know, I'll take a bullet for you, right? I'll fall on a grenade for you. I'll jump on front of the car for you, right? I'll, you know, I'll die physically for you. Uh, but the problem with that, who, uh, who has already died for us physically? 
Jesus. So is he asking us to, to, to take his role? I thought he already took that role. I thought he was a substitutionary sacrifice, which means what he did for us, we don't have to do, right? Uh, and so it would be, so, uh, I mean, Jesus died for us, and when he died, all of our sins were paid for, right? Jesus died for us, and when he died, we got all authority back, right? Jesus died for us, and when he died, we became sons of the Most High God when we, when we receive his work. That's all pretty good. If I take a bullet for you, how has that changed you other than you, you're still physically alive, right? It hasn't changed you, so I've not substituted anything on your behalf other than just my physical life. But no, what's the problem with that, with that doctrine is, what's the word life here mean? That's the question, right? So the word life, you know, I think the New Testament writers, uh, the translators, really did a disservice by not clarifying both the type of love that it's talking about and the type of life that it's talking about. Those two words are very important in the New Testament, and which words were actually used are really important, right? Uh, and in this case, the word life there is not bios, which is, means your physical life. It's the word suke, which is your soul, right? And most oftentimes, the best translation is soul, but even in soul, it can be a little muddy because uh, the soul is made up of the mind, the will, and emotion. So, so which aspect of your soul is it talking about? And, and really, the best fit for this is when it's talking about your will. That, uh, that greater love, greater agape love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his desires or his wants for the benefit of his friends. And I think that's the best, most accurate translation for that verse, right? That a man would lay down what he would, because that is what Jesus did, right? He laid down his will, what he wanted to do, which is not go to the cross. He laid that down for the benefit of everybody in the world. That's, so that's exactly what he did, right? Now, how he did it was to physically go to the cross, shed blood, right? Be tortured and those types of things. But how you do that, you're not going to be dying for anybody's sins. So, so how you lay down your life and your will is not going to be the same way that Jesus did, right? But it's still... Laying down your will for somebody else is what you would do on a regular basis, right? So if there's no, if the Lord is not imposing his will upon you, and I don't mean that in a negative sense, I just mean that if he hasn't said, hey, I need you to go down and buy groceries for that person over there. Um, so if he's not told you to do anything in particular today, this very instant, then just do whatever you want to do, right? Outside of sin, just do whatever you want to do. You know, just, you know, if you just want to sit at home and pet the dog, sit at home, pet the dog, right? And, I mean, the Lord doesn't care because if he cared, he'd tell you what to do, right? He'd give you something to do, uh, instruct you for something that he wants you to do. But then, then the key is what happens when he asks you to do something, right? So it's at that moment then when you get to decide what you're going to do. And see, the people that, that want to grow in faith, uh, that want to mature. See, this, this is how you learn to mature uh, the most in your life is whenever the will of God is in conflict with your will. That doesn't mean there's a fight. That doesn't mean that there's you know, a big argument. It just means that the Lord has now given you instructions of something to do that would require you to change your schedule, right? Change what you're planning on doing and do something else instead of what you were planning on doing. Uh, because it's pretty rare that you sit at home and go, I just don't know what to do. I'm going to sit here. I got nothing to do. I'm going to do. I mean, you wouldn't. You would turn on the TV. You know, you'd read a book. You'd surf the internet. I mean, you'd do something, right? Uh, go plow the North Forty. I mean, you'd find something to do, right? Uh, you know, um, my my wife is physically incapable of actually sitting still for more than uh, 20 or 30 seconds at a time. I mean, she she sits down for 30 seconds. She's got to get up and go, you know, vacuum or something. You know, I don't know what she does, but uh, she just, you know, and and it's the booth gene in her, right? I don't know if you don't need a boost, but the boost, you know. 
uh, they'll, um, uh, uh, they're going to work till the very end, right? All of them, you know, they're just hard workers, and uh, they just don't know what it means to sit still, you know? Uh, and I remember looking at my pastor one day, and the Lord asked me a question. He said, you know what he's thinking about? I thought that was a really odd question. I said, no, I thought it was going to be some deep thing. No, Lord, what's he thinking about? He said, nothing. See, my pastor had, a, had the ability. He could just sit there and just not do anything, right? Some people, they're just genetically incapable of doing that, right? Uh, and uh, my wife comes from a long line of people who don't know how to just not do anything. That's not a bad thing. It's just that's their makeup, right? So that's not a sin. It's not wrong. It's just that's, their, that's how they're made, right? Uh, and so I, I got no problem with it. Uh, but so, so what happens then, the Lord comes and says, hey, I need you to do something. Whatever it is, right? Pray, read, go do something, go talk to somebody, go whatever it is, right? Uh, and so in that moment, you have to lay down your life, right? Lay down what you want to do for the benefit of somebody else, especially if what he wants you to do is going to benefit somebody else. See, Jesus said that's the greatest love right there. When, when you say, Lord, no problem. I'll, I'll, I'll stop cooking the beans. I'll stop mowing the yard. I'll stop, you know, whatever I'm doing. I'll go do that for you right now, right? Uh, glad to do it. Uh, and Jesus said that right there is an expression of the greatest love that you could ever have. So not dying physically for somebody, not giving a million dollars to somebody, not, you know, doing some major heroic f- deed, just yielding your will to the will of God. And see, then uh, Paul said, grace be unto you. So whatever that will is, then you have to have confidence. Lord, I can do this. Whatever Lord's con- Lord, I can do that. Right. Uh, and, and I know I've been there. Plenty of times when I thought, Lord, I don't, I don't think I can do this. You know, uh, when, before I learned some of these things, I, you know, there were times when I Lord, I can't do that. It's too hard or too much work or it's going to take too long or, you know, whatever it is. You just, you know, you kind of justify not doing the will of God. And the problem with that, uh, how well you reckon that's going to fly when you get to heaven? Lord, that was too hard. Uh, and, you know, you'll be like, hang on. Uh, he'd be like, Gabriel, did, didn't we give grace to him to do that? Did, did, you, did you not send the grace? I thought you, said, I thought you told me you could send the grace down to do what I just told them to do. Lord, I did. See, let me show you the grace package. Got their name on it. You know, uh, uh, caution, heavy load, right? I mean, a lot, 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 lot of grace, right? Not heavy load on what they taught you to do, but a lot of grace, right? I sent a big, a double portion of grace down there for them. Uh, and so the Lord's going to be like, well, did I not give you the grace? Uh, yes, Lord, you remember the story with Paul, right? In, in, um, uh, uh, it was in Second uh, Corinthians 12 there where he said that uh, uh, my grace is sufficient for you, right? See, he was dealing with thorns in the flesh, and we know the thorns in the flesh were not sickness and disease. What were the thorns in the flesh? People, right? And the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you dealing with those thorns in the flesh. You ever not want to dealt with people that are unkind or rude or, or hard to deal with? Lord said, I've given you grace to deal with that. Uh, and and uh, now we don't want to deal with it. Who wants to deal with rude people, right? Uh, just go to Walmart. I mean, go to Walmart, you know, uh, a week from Friday, right? Go to Walmart, you know, uh, uh, go, to, go to Walmart on Black Friday. Uh, you know, I've been to Walmart on Black Friday. It's like, where did y'all people come from? I, I live here 365 days. I've never seen you in this town. Where'd you come from, right? And they come in their moo-moos and their hair curlers and, you know, all this stuff. And like, what's, you know... Who are you? Uh, and, and they're fighting over DVDs and fighting over, you know, whatever junk that you can buy there. I mean, it's, it's just stuff, right? I mean, just mad and angry and, you know, I got to get that stuff, you know. See, that's not laying down your life for anybody, right? But so, so Paul said, grace be unto you. So 
So if we can have the faith that whatever God asks us to do, Lord, I can do that. Now, there's times when he says, you know, tells me to do things, and I'll be like, Lord, you're going to have to give me the grace. Now, I know he will, but I just have to say it out with my own mouth. Lord, uh, you, you're going to have to give me the grace to do that. And I know you will, and so I know I can accomplish it. I may not want to, right? I mean, there's pl- plenty of times when he asks me to go, you know, usually it's dealing with people, right? Because things are easy. Go climb a mountain. No problem, Lord. Which one, where you want to start? It's easy, right? Go talk to that person. I don't like that person. You know, they don't like me. In fact, you know, I don't like talking to them. Uh, uh, shut up, go do it anyway, right? He doesn't tell you to shut up, but that's, you know, uh, but he did go do it anyway. Well, Lord, then I've got the grace to go do that, right? So, so that's really, in that moment, when, when the decision is there, is when you decide to appropriate that grace or not, right? So you could reject the grace and say, I can't do it. Or you can say, Lord, you've given me the grace, so I can do it. And see, then you stay in the will of God and you accomplish his will. And then you get to accomplish the greatest love that you could possibly live in this life, which is to lay down your life or your will, what you want to do for the benefit of somebody else. And that's really, you know, if it's just for the benefit of the Lord, you know, that's great. Uh, But, you know, really the context is talking about helping other people, right? Now, you ever help people that are unhelpable? Help people that, you know, you know, you know, they're trying to take advantage of you. Uh, There's been plenty of times when, when, uh, you know, the Lord's told me to go help somebody. I knew they were taking advantage of me. Uh, and, and, and they think I got one over on them. Not realizing I did it with an open eye. You know, I, I knew that you're taking advantage of me. But I don't care. If the Lord says to go do it, I'll go do it, you know. So what if you, so what if you, if you leave thinking, oh, I got one over on them, it's not going to hurt me at all? Because I'm blessed. If I do it with the right attitude, I'm blessed, Right? Now, there's been plenty of times where I grumble the whole way, and I know, and I know I'm not going to get any fruit for it, but, you know, still grumble anyway. It's like, well, it's a lost cause anyway. I'm going to go do it, you know, get my check mark. I know I'm not going to get any fruit out of it, but I'll go do it anyway, and at least they get helped. I don't get any benefit from it. Uh, I mean, I, you know, unfortunately, I'm sure, and of course, you all have never done anything like that, right? All you all have been perfect saints of God, you know. Me, on the other hand, you know, there's been once or twice in my life when, you know, I still do it, but not with the best attitude, right? So, uh, you know, we, we all get to grow up at some point in time. Uh, but if you can learn to do it with the right attitude, because see, here's the thing. If you're going to do it, you can either do it with the right attitude or you can do it with the wrong attitude. But you still got to do it. You're compelled to do it. So uh, now you could just be rebellious and not do it, which, you know, is going gonna, gonna to hurt you in the long run. But um, you remember what he said in Isaiah 1.9, right? He said that the willing and what? Obedient. Obedient will eat the good of the land. See, it takes those two things to be successful in doing the will of God, right? So being obedient, you did it. Well, I did it, Lord. Uh, did you want to do it? Nope. See, that's, that's where the problem comes, right? So going and doing it with heel marks, dragging your heels the whole way, you know what I mean by that, right? Uh, is not the best way to do it. The best way to do it is when you've got a will to maybe you don't want to do it, you've got a will that you were planning on doing something else, and the Lord imposes his will, not in a harsh way, but, you know, he says, hey, I need you to go do this. And then you lay down what you're going to do and willingly go and do what the Lord asks you to do. So you're obedient and you're willing, right? So that's the key, right? Willing and obedient, eat the good of the land. See, knowing that you've got the grace to do it. And yeah, maybe there's consequences. There are plenty of times when I've gone, gone and helped people and they made me out to look like the bad guy, right? They got mad at me. They, you know, were harsh to me. They were unkind to me. Uh, and so, you know, there, were, there was some some issue with that, right? There were some problems with that. 
uh, on their side. But on my side, as long as I'm willing and obedient, you know, th then we're good, right? Uh, and, you know, one of my favorite sayings from uh, Dr. Dufresne was, uh, he, he said, Dr. Dufresne, he said, always do the will of God. And he said, leave the consequences of following him uh, with him. So maybe you go and remember when Jesus went to Nazareth and he said he could there do no mighty works. So he was a complete failure, wasn't he? No, the consequences of that are with the Lord. He didn't fail because he did the will of God. Uh, see, now we would say he failed. Well, there was no, well, you didn't get anybody healed. So obviously it was a failure. You know, he shouldn't have even gone. Well, should he have gone? He should have gone. Why? Because the Lord instructed him to go. So success is not in what you can measure on the back end. Success is, did you do the will of God? And you leave the consequences, good fruit, no fruit, you know, even sometimes even bad fruit. They get mad at you for going, right? Uh, let's turn over to, to, uh, to Acts chapter 18 real quick. Uh, and so, um, so th th this is uh, Paul here. Uh, and it says, uh, let's start in verse, uh, 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 Acts 18, verse 1. It says, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named uh, Aquila, born in Pontus, uh, lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome and came unto them. And because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. And he reasoned in a synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded the Jews and the Greeks. So, you know, Paul was doing what he was doing, right? He was in the synagogues, which is where the Jews gathered. He was persuading them and convincing them. So some of them were believing him, right? He was getting some of the Jews converted. And Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia. Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was Christ. All was going fine. And then it says, and when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean from henceforth. I will go unto the Gentiles. So what did he say? I am not talking to you Jews anymore. I'm done with you all. And, it says, and he departed thence and entered into a certain man's house named Justice, one that worshiped God, whose house joined hard to the synagogue. And Crispus, the, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. Uh, then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by vision, Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people uh, in this city. So Paul said, I'm not speaking to them anymore. What did the Lord tell him to do? Uh, I didn't tell you to quit speaking to him. You keep on speaking to him, right? And so sometimes we, we, get our, we get into our emotions and we make rash decisions, right? Well, I ain't doing that ever again. I'd, I'd be careful saying I'll never do that again. Uh, I've seen people help people and then the people they help turn on them. And then in response, the person that did the help said, I'm never helping anybody ever again. So did you help them for your benefit? If you were helping them for your benefit, then I can understand why you're not helping anybody. But if you were helping them for their benefit, then didn't you do right to begin with? If you helped them, maybe they didn't like it. Maybe they didn't like how you helped them. Maybe, they didn't, you know, uh, <laughs> you ever helped somebody that I thought to be more there? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I did some work with one person one time, another Christian, hours, spent hours on it, you know, on this, on this little uh, uh, drawing and stuff for them, you know. And I got done exactly what they wanted. And I said, hey, you think next time it could be done in more color? Didn't even thank me for it, right? I could have said, I'm never helping them again. 
Now, I could have done that. I didn't do that, but I could have done that because they were so unthankful. It's like, you know, you could have said thanks. And then at least next time, you know, but they didn't even say thanks. Wow, next time you think you could do more. Uh, and you ever, you ever try to help people like that? <laughs> and so it'd be, you know, it's actually biblically okay to be thankful. You know that? Some people think it, it belittles them to thank somebody for doing something for them. It doesn't belittle you. It makes you a humble servant like the rest of us. Uh, and so, so Paul said, I'm not talking ever again. I'm not talking to these Jews ever again. The Lord said, I, I didn't tell you not. Uh, I didn't tell you quit talking to them. You keep on talking to them. Uh, and so, uh, so sometimes we get into our emotions and we make rash decisions. But, you know, the kindness of the Lord was there to, to keep Paul on track there, right? Uh, and so, uh, so grace be unto you. So Paul was just praying Hey, whatever you're called to do, there's grace. Let it be unto you, right? So it's not just the saving grace that we got at salvation, but it's the grace to accomplish God's will in this, on the, in this life. And that's one of the greatest things anybody could say to you, right? Grace be unto you. Uh, you've, got, you've got God's ability to do whatever he's called you to do. And see, so if that's true, then you can never technically say, I can't do it. It's too hard. It's too much. Uh, I'm not able. Uh, if, uh, if God has called you to do that, then a faith person would say, Lord, I don't know how to do it. I don't know in what way to do it. I don't have the funds or the ability or the knowledge or the power or whatever the limitation you have in your life. But by your grace, I will be able to do it. See, uh, nothing wrong with acknowledging your own shortcomings. Nothing wrong with acknowledging that, Lord. Remember, Moses said, I don't know how to talk to, these, to, the, to the Pharaoh. And the Lord said, Aaron, come here. Uh, and so he gave him Aaron, didn't he, right? He, did he get out of his job? He still had his job to do, right? Uh, and so, and really, as far as I can tell, it didn't look like Aaron really did much of anything. You know, Moses really stepped up his game and, and did everything the Lord told him to do. So, so you know, I love, I love this idea of grace. I love the thoughts of uh, that whatever God's called me to do, I can do it. See, that, that brings peace to my life. It brings comfort to my life. And it keeps me out of this mentality of living by excuse because most Christians live by excuse, right? I say most, uh, maybe it's just many. Hopefully it's not most. But a lot of Christians live by excuse. Lord, I can't do that. And they think that gives them an out to not do the will of God. And it never does. And, and the problem is they're laying up for themselves not treasures in heaven, but it's going to be a rebuke, right? When the Lord says, I thought I gave you the grace. I thought I gave you the ability to do what I've asked you to do. And for you to say that you can't do it or don't know how to do it or, you know, even don't want to do it. You know, I mean, you're saying you don't want to do it is, is, is actually OK until uh, it's time to actually make the final decision. Right. Uh, and so then we could be like the Lord Jesus. Well, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. I'm going to and be glad to do it. Amen. Uh, and so uh, that to me, that's a great uh, uh, that's a great uh, doctrine is a doctrine of grace. Amen. That means I can do anything. Anything God's called me to do, I can do anything. Uh, in fact, uh, uh, I think, uh, was it you, Jared, to tell me that somebody one time, uh, when they were quoting the scripture, says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me? Well, you do it by the grace of God, right? And they said, well, that's bragging. Is that what they said? That was a, pri that was a prideful statement, something like that? Because um, uh, <laughs> some people think you're bragging. We say, I can do everything. Uh, you know, I, I can do all things through Christ. How was how that bragging on 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 you i mean all it says is you figured out how to get on the grace uh car and let somebody else drive you around right i mean the grace of god is there to take you from wherever you are to where you're going and to accomplish that how is that bragging on you right but can you do all things through christ which strengthens you well sure you can why 
because the grace of God, God's power and ability working in you to accomplish his will is there. Uh, and, and so, um, so in that, just, just allow that uh, faith of that to grow in your life so that, so that you live a life without excuse, that you live your life without uh, trying to, to uh, excuse your way out of doing God's will. Well, that's just too hard. I've heard many Christians say that, you know, those t- it's just too hard. That, that's, that's not where I never use those words. I may say it is hard. I may say I don't want to do it. But to say it's too hard, I can't do it. You know, I used to say words like that. Uh, and, and then um, uh, I, I've learned since then, right? Uh, and so praise God. Well, let's pray and thank the Lord for his word today. So, Father, we thank you for the word of God. And, Father, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your grace that we live in. And we thank you, Father, that if your grace is in us, then there's nothing that uh, we can't accomplish that's inside your will. And everything you've asked us to do, Father, we have the grace and God's will and ability to do that in our lives. And we thank you for that. We give you the praise and the honor for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's get ready and receive this evening's offering. Now, I'll tell you a story just uh, as Jared's coming to receive the offering. You know, I learned a little bit about this years ago when I was in school. So when I went back to, to the church that the Lord told me to go to, I was in school. I was working on, 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 a, on a, another degree to come ahead, Jared, and receive the offering. And so uh, I was teaching adult Sunday school class, <clears throat> and um, uh, I had an especially hard semester coming up. Uh, and um, uh, so I went to talk to the pastor. said, hey, pastor, you know, um, I've got a lot of schoolwork going on. I, I, I just don't have time to dedicate that I should to uh, prepare for the Sunday school, right? Because, you know, I had this much engineering work to do and I had that much studying of the Bible to do. Right. And so it seems like you can't do everything. And so uh, so I just went and said, hey, now I'm called to be a minister. Right. Is that what I'm called to do? I'm called to be a minister. And so I said, you know, if it's OK, now if, and if it's not OK, just tell me I'll, I'll be glad to do it. He goes, no, it's fine. You know, no, no problem at all. Now, he said that. Right. But then I didn't get to teach Sunday school for two years after that. Right. Now, I don't know that that was the appropriate response on his part. But it was two years before I was ever allowed to teach at the church there again. Uh, and, uh, uh, and so, like I said, I don't know that, that was the best way to do it, but I did learn that, you know, what I said was not really accurate. I could have done it. I just didn't want to do it, right? Because, you know, I could, I could probably sleep an hour less a day, eat one less meal a week or so, and I would have had time to do it, right? But, I, you know, in my mind, it was too much. I couldn't do it. I, I can't do it, Lord. See, that's someone who doesn't know about grace. See, so that's only been, uh, well, that was 30 years ago, you know, this year, right? When I, when I graduated from that uh, college degree there. So, um, so I have learned a few things in the last 30 years, right? So we thank God for that, amen? Uh, and so nowadays, you ought to see my schedule. I mean, it's just, you know, uh, I've got 12 jobs and, you know, doing them all, right? And, and uh, uh, we're going to make some adjustments here pretty soon, I think, because, you know, uh, we've we got to stay in the will of God, Amen. So be blessed. Don't forget the church meal on Sunday and uh, you're dismissed.